You may be seated, and I invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to Psalm 23. Psalm 23. This Christmas, my uh, daughter got a gift. I gave her a gift. It's a game called Illusion, a little card game. It's really fun. You, you have to look at the, the card. It has a bunch of splotches and colors all over it, and you have to figure out as you take one card and then you add another card to this row that you're making, does this card contain more of a specific color, green, than this card that has green splotches all over it? And you have to figure out. It's an optical illusion. Every card has it. And you kind of pick them up. You turn them around. You compare them. And you have to put one in front of the other and make this long list, this long row of uh, ascending um, greatness of the splotches of the specific colors that you're looking for. And as you put them in the rows, you, you begin to notice, wait, if, if I look at it by itself, it looks like uh, it has a lot of color on it. But then if I put it next to another one, the optical illusion starts to play tricks on your mind and your eyes. And you realize from this perspective, it actually looks like this one has more. And it's a really, really fun game. You guys should come over this afternoon and play it. The game is all about your perspective. And I believe life could be summed up in that word. What is your perspective? 2020 has given us a great opportunity to ask that question of our hearts. What is our perspective? What's the outlook that we have on what's going on in the world? And then as if 2020 wasn't chaotic and strange enough, we're a week and a little bit into 2021, and it's just as strange. It's just as filled with turmoil, filled with death, filled with destruction, filled with sorrow, filled with lies, filled with all sorts of chaos. And I've, I've heard so many believers speak words that are just filled with pessimism. That everything's going to go bad and, and there's no way to have hope and I just don't see it in the Bible. Psalm 23 is a psalm of perspective. Psalm 23 is a psalm of perspective. This psalm is about the perspective of trusting in our great shepherd who cares for us in the midst of the hard times. This is a very familiar psalm. We've studied it before at our church. We've studied it in our small groups before. I'm sure many of you have memorized it. But as we think about all of the chaos that's going on outside of our church in the world around us, and we even think about the chaos inside of our church in this last year, and looking ahead into 2021, I want us to recalibrate our thinking and our hearts and, and make a resolution in our souls today that we are not going to move forward without changing our perspective to trust in God and what he's doing in 2021. So let's read the psalm together and ask God's blessing on our short time this morning, and then we'll dive in. Psalm 23, it's a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. 
Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Father, thank you for Psalm 23. Thank you for perspective-changing psalms, for your word that is our, our glasses. It's the lens with which we are to see the world. And yes, there is chaos. And yes, there is sorrow. Yes, there is great loss. And we would be tempted to look around us in this world and be fearful, be fretful, be anxious, be worried. But God, we are called by you to be different, set apart from this world. While the world watches with anxiety and worry, we can say, I have a great shepherd. And I don't want for anything. Oh, Father, teach us this morning. Holy Spirit, open our eyes that we would behold wonderful things from your law that you would begin setting us on a trajectory for 2021 that would change the way we see things, that our perspective would be altered, would be radically changed, and that we would walk away from here remembering how you have worked in the past, trusting you in the middle of these chaotic moments, and with biblical optimism, excited about the future, filled with hope and filled with joy. We cannot gain that perspective apart from your spirit. Holy Spirit, we need you. Teach us now. We pray in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. There are so many different ways that we can outline this text this morning, but I believe that there's a key for us in the way that David speaks. He talks in specific language and changes grammar, and I think that is the best way to take this psalm. Notice in verses 2 through 3, all of the pronouns are in the third person. He makes me lie down. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. But then in verse 4, it shifts. It's no longer he does these things. It's you do them. It shifts to the second person. So my question is why the transition? And I believe the psalmist is living in verses 4 and 5, recalling verses 2 and 3 and predicting verse 6, but he's living in the midst of verses 4 and 5. He's in the valley of deepest darkness. He's not in the green pastures. So we're going to take that as our outline this morning, looking at the past, looking at the present, and looking to the future. So if you take notes, if you want an outline here, number one, point number one, if our perspective is going to be changed if we're going to have the right perspective moving into 2021, number one, we must remember our shepherd's provision in our past. We must remember our shepherd's provision in our past. Verse one, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. That immediately brings to our minds and our hearts the question, is God your shepherd? Because none of the things that are going to be spoken of by David in this psalm are true of you 
if you are not following Christ as your shepherd. If Jesus is your shepherd and you're following him as his sheep, then everything we're going to talk about is true for you. But if you're not following Christ, if he is not your shepherd, then nothing in these verses is true for you. It can be if you would follow him. How do we follow him? Well, let's just take the analogy as sheep. Sheep, when the Bible, one commentator says, calls Christ the great shepherd and us his sheep, it is a very important and well-meant spiritual insult because sheep are really dumb animals. They need to be rescued all the time. They're always going astray. They're always going to their own way. They need to be rescued constantly, and they need to be rescued thoroughly. That's how we begin following Christ. We say, I'm a dumb sheep. I need to be rescued, and I need somebody to do that rescuing because I can't rescue myself. I have sin. I need to bear the punishment of that sin. I can't get rid of that punishment. I can't get rid of my sin. I can't live a good, perfect life. I can never be good enough. I can't do anything on my own. I need somebody to help. And Christ, our great shepherd, says, I'm here to guide you, to direct you, to rescue you. So this morning, right off the bat, is Christ your shepherd? Are you following Christ? If not, can I plead with you this morning? Stop clinging to your own opinions, your own convictions, and your own devices. Turn from sin and follow your great shepherd. He will rescue you right now if you would turn to him. David says, he is my shepherd. I am his sheep. And because he is my shepherd, end of verse 1, I shall not want. I shall not want. This verse was left in the old English uh, style. Because so many people had memorized it, it was so famous, it was such an important passage. It was just left in that old English, I shall not want. It's kind of unfortunate because we look and we go, shall not want. I have a lot of wants. I have a lot of desires that God is not meeting. But that's not what this verse means. It's not saying I don't have any desires. The best way to translate it is, there's nothing that I need that I don't have. There's nothing that I need that I don't have. God is my shepherd, and because he's my shepherd... There's nothing that I need that I'm going without. The implications of this are huge. The Lord is my shepherd, and because God is my shepherd, I have everything I need. This means two things. I have him, and that's all I need. Because I have him, I have everything that I need. And secondly, what flows out of him being my great shepherd is everything that I need. Christ and all that he is for me is everything that we need. I love that because... I think the psalmist would say here this morning, there's a lot of things that I want that I don't have. That's what this verse is saying. I have everything I need. There's a lot of things that I want that I don't have. But I have everything I need because I have a great shepherd. What does he do? This great shepherd, verse 2, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Sheep wouldn't know where to graze. They don't know where the best food is. The great shepherd does. So that's why they force sheep to lie down in a green pasture, the Lord offers sustenance to his people. He offers protection. You have to kind of hit the sheep legs to let them buckle under themselves so that they can lie down because they don't want to lie down. They're afraid. But with a great shepherd watching over them, eat in peace. I'll give you the best food and I'll let you eat a meal in peace. You don't have to worry about anybody coming to destroy you. You're protected. 
lie down in peace. They're green pastures. They don't look like my front lawn at my house. <laughs> they're not weeds and they're not brown. They're green, beautiful nourishment. God desires to give that to you this morning if you would follow him, to nourish you in the word. Secondly, he makes me, uh, or he leads me beside quiet water. So he not only makes me to lie down in the green pastures, he sustains me and he protects me. Number two, he leads me beside quiet waters. He leads me, literally the word is quieted waters or stilled waters. Meaning what? At one time they weren't quieted. I love this picture. Sheep need water to exist. They need water to survive just like us. But if they walk close to a huge river that's loud, that's moving very quickly over rocks and over uh, different vegetation and maybe spilling over the banks, sheep are so terrified and so scared that they won't go near to drink. And if this huge raging river is going by and some sheep are the daredevil sheep and decide, you know what, I'm not afraid, I'm going to go drink, the water that's spilling over the banks is going to get into their uh, fur and it's going to bring them into the water. It's going to drown them. There's no way a sheep can survive by drinking water that's coming from a raging river. So if you are taking care of sheep and you need them to drink water, which you do, you have to find a river either that's completely still and the sheep will be okay drinking from it or find a raging river and somehow put a dam in it so that it quiets that river down. It stills it. That's what this word picture is. He leads me beside stilled or quieted waters. They at one time were not quiet, but now they are. And number three, he restores my soul. Could mean one of two things. Either he saves my soul, which is salvation, or he refreshes my soul after he saves me. I think it's both. He's the only one that can rescue us. He's our great shepherd. But once we're saved, it isn't like everything is just, you know, roses. And so in the midst of the deepest darkness, he cares for us. He restores us. He gives us moments of sustenance and nourishment. He gives us moments of tranquility and peace. He gives us moments of refreshment, drinking from quieted waters. He restores us. But notice, all of these gifts that God gives to his sheep are not the reason why David says, I'm happy. It's not the green pastures that makes him happy. It's not the quieted waters that gives him rest. It's not all of these great gifts that God's given. No, it's God himself that brings ultimate refreshment. Can I ask you this morning, what are you looking for? What are you looking to for comfort? Probably not even a morally bad thing, right? But maybe you're looking for one of God's gifts to satisfy your soul. God's gifts are amazing, but man, they make very, very bad gods. Do you trust in God and God alone as your great shepherd, saying with the psalmist, if I have him, I have everything that I need. If the Lord is your shepherd, you lack nothing. You're constantly refreshed. Can I encourage you, if you're in a spiritual valley, in the valley of despair and deepest darkness, as we're going to see, look to your good shepherd. Be satisfied in him alone. Find every possible avenue to put yourself in the way of truth, of him speaking to your soul through his word, in fellowship, in accountability, and don't move until your soul is refreshed. 
in him. He restores my soul. Number four, he guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He paves roads for me to walk in. Uh, Ephesians 2 verse 10 tells us that he is the one who created the good works that we should walk in beforehand. He tells us the direction to go. He tells us through his word how we're to take that direction. And he does it all for his name's sake. So we are not without guidance, without direction, without clarity of what road we're to take, of how we're to walk, how we're to be directed. God does it all. This is all in verses 1 through 3, remembering how God has been an amazing shepherd to David. This is all a remembering. And I, I think that we, in our culture, in our context, we just do a terrible job of remembering. We are so, so forgetful. But remembering is a tool that we see over and over again used in the Bible to conquer moments of despair, moments of anxiety, moments of worry. Think about 1 Samuel 17. Remember David and Goliath? Saul says to David, don't go out and fight him. Don't do that. That's really, really a bad idea. And you remember what David says. No, I've got this. Why? Because I've fought lions. I've destroyed them. God helped me to do that. God helped me to destroy bears and protect my sheep. So God's going to help me again to destroy this heathen that's coming before God's chosen people and trying to destroy them. If God helped me in the past, God's going to help me in the future. That's what David says. That's why he goes to fight Goliath. The reason why he has strength, energy, power, and conviction to fight Goliath is because he's remembering. Look at what God did in and through me back then. He'll do it again. Psalm 77. The entire psalm is a psalm of remembrance. In the Old Testament, if you're starting your Bible reading plan in uh, Genesis, you're going to start coming across this idea of the, those pillars, the, the stones that were set up, an Ebenezer raised to God. Ebenezer is a word. Obviously, we think of it, uh, you know, Ebenezer Scrooge. It's actually a really good word. It's a word in Hebrew that means up until now, God has helped me. Look in the past, and you can see all the help that he's been. So therefore, he's going to help me in the future. Psalm 105 talks about this corporately, remembering together. That's what we do when we celebrate communion. We're remembering together. Psalm 103 is private, individual remembering. And David's writing all of this pre-cross, right? He's writing all of this before Christ has been crucified. How much more should we be able to look back at what God has done at the cross and say he's done the hardest thing? Every other thing for him to do is a very simple and easy thing. The greatest Ebenezer of all time is the cross. God himself raised an Ebenezer to say, look at the cross, and you can say, God has been my help, and he always will be. So, can I ask you, CBC, do you celebrate God's amazing blessings and his victories in the past? Just look back at 2020. Where has God blessed you? provided for you. So I can think even in our church family, new babies that have been born in our church family, marriages, Daniel and Rosie getting married in the strangest of circumstances, providing for a new relationship. People have got new jobs, new jobs in the midst of 2020. God has provided new jobs for people. God's provided income. God's provided housing. 
And even more importantly, at a much deeper level, God has provided fellowship to get us through these hard days. God's provided a church family where we can be together, we can cry together, we can weep together, we can lament together. God's done all of this. How quickly we move on from God's blessing. Don't do that. Don't move away quickly. I would encourage you, even right now, pray in your heart and say, God, remind me of how you've provided. Remind me of the blessings that you've given. And let me not forget them. Number two in our outline, not only if if we want a, a perspective change, a biblical perspective looking at 2021, number one, we need to remember what God's done in the past. He's our great shepherd who's cared for us and provided for us in the past. He's going to do it again in 2021. Number two, if our perspective is going to be changed, we must trust the shepherd's provision in our present trials. Trust the shepherd's provision in our present trials. This is where the language shifts. Verse four, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil because you are with me now. I can talk about what he's done in the past. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He's done all of these things in the past, but now I'm telling you in the present. Though I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death, he's with me. This is where David is writing, in this valley of deepest darkness. It's a, it's a Hebrew idiom that isn't really speaking of death, though death can bring about this valley. This is just the valley of the deepest darkness. This is a place where it's so dark, you don't know your way out, you don't know how you got there, you don't know what to do, and you really feel like nobody else is with you. You can't see anybody else with you for sure. And yet, David says, you're with me. I can't see you, but you're with me. And because of that, I fear no evil. And we look around at the world today and we see a lot of evil. It looks like evil is winning. That'll be our meditation next Sunday. We're going to look at Psalm 73 where the psalmist says just that. God looks like evil's winning and I don't think it's worthwhile to be a Christian anymore. Might as well just stop because being a Christian has no benefits. I know some of us have even thought that in 2020. What's the point of being a Christian? Evil's winning. Righteousness is losing. But here, in Psalm 23, I don't fear evil. It's going on all around me, but I'm not going to be afraid of it because I have you. I have my great shepherd. You're with me. So even when you're in the deepest darkness, even when you feel alone, even when you feel like God has left you, brothers and sisters, he's right there with you. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He's right there with you. James Montgomery Boyce says it this way. We are never so conscious of the presence of God as when we pass through life's valleys. In the good times, it's easy to forget. That's why in the bad times, we can rejoice knowing in those trials, he will make himself that much more near to us. Just as we read in Psalm 34, he is near to the brokenhearted. He goes on to to write, it is important to note that the valley of the shadow of death is as much God's right path for us as the green pastures which lie beside quiet waters. That is, the Christian life is not always tranquil, 
nor, as we say, a mountaintop experience. God gives us valleys also, and it is in those valleys with their trials and dangers that we develop character. So do you trust God in the midst of your present trial? How does David trust the Lord? He says it in the middle of verse 4, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Rod, that's a word for a little stick that the shepherd would keep with him to just kind of bop the sheep on the nose, to say you're going the wrong way, you need to turn around, you need to stop doing what you're doing. I'm going to protect you and keep you safe. It's discipline. The staff is the one that kind of guides and directs the sheep and also defends the sheep from any enemy that's coming in. It fights off the enemies. So David is saying, not only are you going to take care of the enemies around me, you're also going to take care of the enemy within me. My own sinful decisions that want to take me off of the path, you're going to bop me on the nose, take me back and say, no, this is the right way. But notice, even though there is a staff to fight off the enemies, verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You prepare a table before me in the presence. My prayer would be, God, get rid of the enemies. I would rather not have the meal and rather have the enemies be gone. And yet David says, hey, I get a meal with my Savior, and there's enemies all around, I'm okay. Enemies are still there. I don't know about you. It's easy to look around in this culture, in this climate, and think, God, just get rid of all the bad. Let good start winning. Let good start triumphing. And God would say, hey, I'm with you. As the enemies surround you, I'm with you. And we can feast. We can feast in the presence of the the evil and the enemies. Middle of verse 5, you've anointed my head with oil. This is an ancient Near East practice that was used to eliminate parasites and lice and things like that. You would put it on the animal's head and all those little critters would die, would suffocate. So you're protecting me, you're healing me. When I have uh, problems that are going on, you're restoring me, you're giving me health in a spiritual sense, and my cup overflows. This is pure luxury and provision. This isn't gospel this isn't the prosperity gospel. This is gospel prosperity that because I have been saved by Jesus himself, I have everything that I need. We are we're going to need this perspective as we live out this year. We see turmoil. We see trial all around us. We see unrest. We see division. We see hatred. We see anger. We see a cultural shift, a, a moral shift that's happening at such a fast rate in our country. And yet, as the psalmist says, I have enemies all around me, but I'm celebrating with Christ. I'm celebrating with my shepherd. God's still on his throne, and we can, as 1 Peter 5 tells us, cast our cares on him because he cares for us. We're going to be studying prayer this semester. Such a perfect semester to study, crying out to God, whether in lament, whether in imprecatory psalms of God, get rid of the evil, get rid of the wickedness. Psalms of trust, psalms of celebration and thanksgiving. We're going we're gonna to go through all of these different psalms and study crying out to the Lord and saying, God, I want to trust you more. And so just like I told you with point number one, I want you to stop and think about how God has provided for you in the past. With point number two, I want you to stop and right now think, God, how can I trust you more today? Where am I struggling to trust you, God? We need our perspective to be changed. That even in the midst of the deepest darkness, 
He's with us. He loves us. And we can trust him. Point number three, finally. In verse six, we've gone from past to present. If you're going to have your perspective changed, you need to remember God's provision in your past. Number two, you need to trust that he's going to care for you in the midst of your trials now. And finally, number three, you need to rest assured in the shepherd's provision for you in the future. Rest assured in the shepherd's provision for you in the future. This, verse six, is what I would call biblical optimism. This is where David ends, so confident, even though the enemies surround him. No matter how hard it gets, God cares for me, his love will find me, and I will dwell with him forever. Verse 6, he says it, surely, assuredly, there's no way that this won't happen. This is a money-back guarantee. Goodness, that's tov, the goodness of God, and loving kindness, that's that beautiful word, hesed, that covenant-keeping love. My favorite definition of hesed is when the one from whom I have no right to expect anything gives me everything. It's that I'm never going to let you go or abandon you kind of love. Goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. That word follow is really not a good translation of the Hebrew word. The Hebrew word is pursue. Sometimes it's translated in the Old Testament as persecute, hunt down. I'm chasing you. I'm going to find you. If you're in deepest darkness and nobody can see you, I can find you. So David says, I know I'm in the valley of deepest darkness, but I know God's goodness and God's loving kindness will hunt me down, and I will not go without it. And how often will this happen? All the days of my life. That's today. That's tomorrow. That's Tuesday when the Grahams get in their car and head to Nashville. That's January 20th when something important is happening. That's when your boss tells you that they can't afford to keep you on. It's when your doctor tells you that they found something on the scan. Every day of your life, God's goodness and God's loving kindness is hunting you down. And because we know that, the end of verse 6, I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This could mean going back to the tabernacle and rejoicing with the body of believers. Uh, it could also mean dwelling in God's house eternally forever. And I think it's both. I'm going to be with believers, and then I'm also going to be with them eternally. This is a beautiful verse to end our time with as we think about the grands leaving. God's goodness is going to follow them, hunt them down, chase them down, always be with them. And then one day we all together will be in the house of God, never to be separated ever again. This is really the New Testament equivalent, or this is the Old Testament equivalent of Romans 8.28, right? God causes all things to work together for our good. And not only do goodness and loving kindness hunt us down despite the trials, they actually hunt us down within them and because of them. So, what's your perspective on 2021 moving forward? If you want to have a right perspective, you need to remember what God has done in the past. 
Remember his provision for you in the past. Trust his care and his love and his shepherding of you in the present. And rest assured in his provision for the future. The average person has three negative thoughts for every one positive thought. And when we're talking with our families, it goes up. Nine out of ten statements are critical or negative when we're talking with our families. Can you be honest with your heart? Are you an optimistic person or a pessimistic person? Do you have hope in your heart that even when you're watching the chaos of the world around you and the culture around you, you say, God's on his throne. You sing in your heart, the ancient of days, none go before him, none above him. He reigns in glory and majesty. Are you optimistic? You won't be if you don't remember God's provision in your past, and you won't be if you think that the, present, the future is an unknown to God, and he's trying to work things out on the fly just like we are. You remember Fanny Crosby? She was blinded in childhood by an incompetent doctor. She died in 1915, but not before leaving us over 9,000 hymns. 9,000 hymns. And they're so biblically optimistic. Listen to just one of them. She, she writes, Oh, what a happy soul am I. Although I cannot see, I am resolved that in this world, contented I will be. Many blessings I enjoy that other people don't. You hear that? This is a blind girl who says, I enjoy many blessings that others don't. Should be flipped, right? Many enjoy sight that I don't get to enjoy, but not her. Many blessings I enjoy that other people don't. To weep and sigh because I'm blind, I cannot and I won't. I'm resolved in this world to be content. That was written by her when she was 12 years old. I think that if she were here this morning, she would say the exact same thing as David says. If you're going to be contented, if you're going to resolve to be contented in this world, you must remember your shepherd's provision in the past. You must trust his provision and his care for you in the present. And you must rest assured in his provision for you in the future. Let's end our time in Revelation chapter 7. Revelation chapter 7, which we're going to get to eventually. Revelation chapter 7, verse 16. Believers one day will hunger no more, nor thirst any more, nor will the sun beat down on them, nor any heat, because the Lamb is in the center of the throne, and he will be their shepherd and will guide them to springs of the water of life, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. The reason we can have such biblical optimism about the future, and like that Proverbs 31 woman, just laugh at the days ahead, the reason we can do that is because our great shepherd is a lamb. He became one of us so that he could live a perfect sinless life that you and I needed to live to get to God on our own. But we all fail. We all mess up. None of us is perfect. We've all sinned. 
and fallen short of the glory of God. And our great shepherd, who is a lamb led to slaughter, died on a cross, bearing our penalty, bearing our guilt, bearing our shame, doing away with it once and for all, every single sin, whether it's in thought, in word, in action, in emotion, put on Christ at the cross, punished in him so that we can be forgiven and given righteousness and holiness that he purchased for us and he won for us. And he rose from the dead three days later, conquering sin, conquering death, making a way for us to have eternal life in him. And so I I beg you, if you are here this morning and you don't know that Jesus is your savior, you have not submitted your life to him, you don't know you're forgiven. Today is the day of salvation. Turn to him, trust in him. And if you are here this morning and you do trust in him, you are a believer in Jesus Christ, then you can say with the psalmist, even though we walk through the valley of deepest darkness, we're not afraid because our great shepherd will lead us. He'll find us, he'll always be with us, and he'll lead us one day to a place where there is no more death, no more crying. Every single tear we've ever cried, he'll wipe it away. So my friends, let's live in that biblical optimism today and let God change our perspective in 2021. And let's look different than the world, showing forth Christ as our greatest satisfaction And because we have him, there's nothing that we need that we're lacking. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the amazing reality of Christ being our shepherd, providing for us in so many amazing ways. I think heaven will be a place filled with reports of how you have provided for us, even though we weren't aware. And so even though we walk through the valley, we must travel there. And even though we feel that we see no earthly good, we have peace that flows from heaven, strength given in times of need, knowing that our pain and our sorrow and our suffering will never be wasted as you complete your work in us. 